Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we scour our vinyl collections to bring you great songs by unknown artists and unknown songs by great artists. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And you have found the internet's best and only place for music. So, congratulations. As always, before we get into our turntable talk, where we delve into a deep research subject, and before we get into our four songs you should know, we always like to start with a little bit of... All right, I'm going to lead things off tonight with a uh, trivia round that I'm finally titling mine, not as cleverly as you are, but I'm titling this one The Planes, Trains, Automobiles, and Ham Sandwich of Asphyxiation. Whoa! So, (laughs) I'm going to give you some information about a death. Yes. And I want you to tell me whose death am I talking about. Oh, gosh. This sounds great. If okay. You, if you can get it from the date alone, four points. If you can get it from the date and the type of death, three. If I add location, two. And if I add age, one. Wow. Okay? Okay. okay. I'm going to ask these, and then we'll come back at the end of the show and answer them. I do have a few here, but just as, a, just as an opener here, just for an example, if I were to say... February 3rd, 1959. Would you know, would you have any idea what that was? This is the easy one. Buddy Holly. There you go. Buddy Holly. Actually, it's uh, Big Bopper, but okay, I'll take Buddy Holly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, that's exactly right. That's what we want. Okay. So, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do these in, I'm going to try to do them in order of year. So, I'm going to go ahead and chronologically here. So, I'm going to go ahead and go with the next one is December 11th, 1964. And you know what? I mentioned doing these at the end because of the order, because of the points. We're going to do them now. So let's start that over. Okay. Okay. So you're going to get four points if you can do it from the date. If I add de- uh, type of death, you get three, location two, age one. And we're going to start off with December 11th of 1964. Otis Redding. He was shot to death. Sam Cook. There you go. There you go. Three points. All right, on the board. Okay. This one is is kind of a fun one in here, I think. Um, July 18th, 1966. Paul McCartney. Suspicious. The cause of death was a suspicious suicide. 66. Los Angeles, California. 23 years old. The answer, taking too long there. We've got to time this out. Dang. Bobby Fuller. Oh, uh, great, that, great yeah. death. Not that, you know, some deaths are better than others, I guess. Yes, okay, here's one that you're going to know. Okay. I don't think you're going to get from the date, though. February 3rd, 1967. Okay. Suicide by gunshot. And if I add the caveat, well, let me go ahead and do uh, London, England first. Suicide in London. Uh-huh. In 67. Uh-huh. Uh, um, I know it. It's, um... There you go. All right. Following a murder. Here's a here's a nice easy here's a nice softball for you. July. Th- I'm just going to give you instead of just I think the date is just too hard on some of these. I'm going to give you date and type of death, and then you can get the four points from that. Okay. This one, however, is going to be super easy. So it's one point if you get it, and zero if you don't. July third, nineteen sixty nine. Drowned in swimming pool. Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson is still alive. Oh, Brian Jones. <laughs> You've been thinking about a mountain goat song too long. <laughs> okay. He's barely alive. <laughs> yeah. September 16th, 1977. That would be uh, The next clue I'm going to give oh, you. Oh, Elvis. Elvis. Nope, nope. The oh. next clue I'm going to give you is London, England. Instead of telling you how. And then, 77. 29 years old, car accident, his girlfriend was driving. Who was that? T-Rex? Yes, it was. Okay, yeah. T-Rex. Yep, yep, all Mark right. Bowen. Okay, December 8th, 1980. That's, all, uh, that's, all, that's all you need. Ian no. No. 1980? No. Come on. <laughs> Jesus. To be fair. <laughs> Assassinated. <laughs> John Lennon. Okay. Whoops. Now I'm just going to start giving you clues that I think are more fun. Okay. Instead of just the date, that's silly. 
Okay, here we go. In 1983, this person had a heart attack caused by anorexia. Karen Kerber. There you go. See? Nice and easy. How about if I just give you this clue? Worst father ever. 1984. Not this is the worst father. Oh. <laughs> he had, apparently, the worst father. Shot by his father in Los Angeles, California. Marvin Gaye. There you go. April 1st. Okay. Only got a few more. Sorry, this is uh, going along. No, that's while great. Okay, okay. We've got uh, 1988. Okay. In July. Head trauma from bicycle accident. Nico. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, 1997 in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, Jeff Buckley. There you go. Let's do... This is my... This might be my favorite one. <laughs> uh, okay. 1997. Auto-erotic asphyxiation. Uh, Michael Bates There you go. <laughs> Skiing accident. Uh, Sonny Bono. 98. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, this one's... This one... This one's fun, too. Um, hit by power boat in 2000. Oh, Christy, uh, what is her last name? Kirsty McCall. McCall, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then the last one, I'm going to go back one just because it's interesting that I was actually, I saw a show of theirs. Uh, fairly. This guy, and it's a guy, um, he had a heart attack on stage in 1999. I'm an old guy. 46 years old. When he died, it wasn't just at some point. Yeah, a heart attack on stage. Uh-huh. You might not have really been into this band. I, I like them quite a bit, but I don't know. They only had three people in the band. I don't think they had a bass player in their band. I think that's what the, their shtick was. The two guitarists and a, and a... I think so. If I remember right, it's Morphine. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Mark Sandman. There you go. Yeah. All right. That is my quiz. <laughs> that's a good quiz. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh... I feel like I did pretty good on it. it you did it, really well. The dates just, are hard. If you, going from dates alone, the next time I do this, and I've got a lot more here to do, uh, the next time the next time we do this, I will uh, not. I'm just going to give you the clue that I think helps, but maybe not too much. I like the dates and the clue. Okay. That would be, but as, as great as it is. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to do my audio quiz now. Okay. I've got six tracks for you. You need to give me the name of the track, the name of the artist, you're going to get the theme. The theme's obvious. However, there's going to be a bonus question, and uh, and that will come at the end. So be thinking. Okay. I don't know what you'd be thinking about. Just in general. Okay, okay. Put on, that's, put on, put on the theme. that's something I'm new. It's a toque. But, uh. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yes. Track one. Gloria, the last taboo was shattered by her tongue one night. Mimi brought the taboo back and held it up for the light. Marilyn, who knew no shame, was never, ever satisfied. Julie came and went so fast she didn't even say goodbye. Track three. She was sharing Sharon's outlook on the topic of disease. Mikey had a facial scar and Bobby was a racist. They were all in love with dying. They were doing it in Texas. Tommy played Track four. Six tracks that are gonna bend your mind. Okay. So you need to tell me the artist, name the song, and what theme holds them all together, which I think will be pretty obvious. Okay. Okay. I think I have. I think I've got. Did pretty well. There are a few songs I'm not quite sure on, but I know. I think I know all of them. There's a few that you should totally get. Mm, I I think so. I think I did okay. <laughs> Better right. than like your guided by voices garbage. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Which might be the best quiz you've ever done. Hate the game, not the player. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did people say that? No. Okay, well, I think it's time for some turntable talk. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. People stop and staring. I can't see the faces. Okay, uh, today, uh, my turntable talk, what I have decided we should be talking about, at least at this point, is John Peel. Yeah. Um, so, John Peel is considered to be the most important and influential DJ who has ever been a DJ. He launched the careers of hundreds of artists, um, though, at the same time, he would certainly have said that he didn't. He just maybe played them before they would have been big. He never had a huge ego as far as that goes. He was pretty uh, pretty insecure. But anyway, what I wanted to kind of go over were what I find specifically admirable about him and what made him such a great such a great artist or such a great DJ, uh, rather than specifically talking about other things like that, um, like who he may have known and partied with. However, I'll bring that up. So he grew up uh, not named John Peel. His name was John Ravenscroft, um, and he grew up near Liverpool, England, which is, you know, same place that some other some other guys came from, the Beatles. <laughs> he was born right about the same time, right about when World War II started. He's that old? He was that old, yeah. So, I'm trying to think if he started. He was born 39 or 40. Okay. He was a terrible student, very, very bright and creative, but lazy, and teachers didn't really care for him. And he was always, almost instantly, was... He loved songs that went against the uh, the normal convention, went against the grain, really. Uh, they were just sort of different, even if they were jazzy kind of big band songs before there was rock, really. It was through those records and those different sounds that he sort of started buying records that he became crazy about. And it was when he started really listening to songs like, uh, or songs by Lightning Hopkins and Little Richard and Elvis and Bill Haley, and maybe even especially Gene Vincent. He just sort of went crazy and started going through and collecting everything he possibly could. Went to the record store just buying all kinds of stuff. What happened, though, while right when he finished uh, what we would call high school, his he was a terrible student, remember. His dad sent him to learn about, I think it was account, uh, insurance. He sent him to, from London, he sent him to Oklahoma. <laughs> And in Oklahoma, that's where John Peel started really, or John Ravenscroft still at that point, started really collecting all blues records. And he had a collection that other people there had never heard of all these weird, kind of some odd psych records he'd started getting into. This is kind of the later 60s. So he had gotten these blues records, and he had a lot of those that his mother would ship over to him in Oklahoma that other people hadn't heard. And then he, the, how he got onto the radio the first in the first the first place was... The Beatles started hitting it big, so mid-60s, I guess. And these Oklahoma DJs were talking about the Beatles. And they were getting their facts wrong about Liverpool. So this John Ravenscroft calls in and starts setting the record straight, starts telling them about Liverpool. Now, everybody immediately just assumes that he knows the Beatles. Because <laughs> Liverpool is going to obviously be a very small town, and they all know each other. He never denies that specifically, or at least not up to that point. So he becomes... Um, Oklahoma's man who knows the Beatles, basically they're, they're <laughs> one degree of separation. So he ends up coming down to the radio station to talk about British music, and he becomes the expert there on British music. Um, he then ends up getting, getting jobs working as a DJ, uh, not getting paid, uh, but at that Oklahoma radio station, he works then at some point at one in Dallas, where, and this is actually much earlier than I thought, I remember, when he was working in Dallas, he actually met John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, and he, when John F. Kennedy was shot, he ended up going to where he was shot. He was living in Dallas. He ended up going into the towards the courthouse right after they had uh, arrested uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, and he claimed to be London Press. And so there, actually, there's a picture of him in the courthouse with... Jack Ruby's in the background. <laughs> it's like this That's weird picture, yeah. And he actually, heard. before that, when um, when Kennedy was, I think it was when he was campaigning, maybe, he was coming through on a parade, and John Ravenscroft went over and he met him, and they talked for a couple minutes, and they, somebody took a picture. But he has no way of, he never had a way of backing this up, because his picture was destroyed by his first wife, who was 
had some mental problems. He ends up, he has, uh, he's been basically everywhere. He's like Zealot. He then, from Dallas or Oklahoma, he then goes up and works at a radio station in Minnesota very briefly, uh, where it, the reason it's brief is because it comes out that he didn't actually know the Beatles. So that, then he goes out to a radio station in California. At this point in California, they have taken the name, uh, they've taken his last name, they've changed it like slightly. They didn't like that his name was Ravenscroft. So they changed it to Ravencroft. They got rid of an S. <laughs> And then eventually they changed it to Peel because um, a stenographer didn't want to type that much. And so she said, just why don't you be John Peel? And he said, okay. And then he's been John Peel ever since, or was ever since up until then. Um, he started out just as an incredible hoarder and collector, as a lot of us are, I would assume. Um, he had extreme confidence in his own taste. So he was able to just, he had confidence of that what he was playing was good. Um, he didn't necessarily have self-confidence, but he knew what he was playing was really, really good, even sometimes when it wasn't, and that really helped a lot. Um, and it kind of brought people out of the woodwork who normally would have been sort of afraid of listening to these weird things. So after after California, he went back to London, and he started, he was one of the first people to work at this underground London, kind of a pirate radio station. And from there, he went to the BBC One, where he, where he ended up working for for quite a long time. Now, he never did a whole lot of, like, bragging about himself. He was incredibly sincere, which really, I think, grabbed a lot of people. Um, he did things that were very natural. So it was it was actually in London where he was assigned the name by a stenographer, John Peel, rather than uh, Ravencroft or Ravenscroft. Um, so throughout his entire life, he never stopped collecting, collecting. And when he passed away, he had tens of thousands of records, which are right now currently being archived online. So we'll put that, we'll put that link up there. Are they yeah. doing every record? They're trying to do every record. And there's even a website where they have people like a Brian Eno or a Jack White where they will go in and they will talk about a few records. They'll kind of dig through their record collection and pull some out. I think the most impressive thing was that before he died, he or after he died, they found a record case that no, he had never shown to anyone. And it had, I think, about 100. It was all just singles. It had like about 144 or so singles in it, and people are just sort of thinking that he put this away as kind of a description of his life, like his autobiography in Seven Inches. And you can go online, you can see the full collection. It's amazing. And that's another thing that there's video of, like a, um, Jack White is going through this, and you can see him just sort of blushing because there's like three or four white stripes, uh, 45s in there. He did love the white stripes. He loved the white stripes, and he was really kind of a, a mentor to Jack White. They had, like When they met, they would talk about, um, they would just both start talking about old bands or old blues singers and stuff, and they just seemed to get along really, really well. The funny thing is, uh, John Peel's favorite band of all time is The Fall. It's the only band he had um, that was completely separated. All of their records were completely separated from his, the rest of his collection entirely. Hmm. But, and it, um, he had a, also he had a, like a list of like his top 50 songs every year. Sometimes they weren't necessarily from that year. But the fall were, anytime they were there, they were in the top 10 almost every time, and maybe repeatedly so. But in that final box that everybody found, there wasn't a single fall 45. Huh. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he and Marky Smith... Um, never really talked a whole lot. Like, John Peel, by this point, and I'll, I'll go into why, he didn't want to talk to Marky Smith because he was worried that he would be let down in some way. And the reason he thought this was because in the very beginning when he was at BBC, he made friends with Mark Boland when he was, mm -hmm. before he even had Tyrannosaurus Rex. Wow, so really? Really, really early. And they were really good friends. Like, Mark Boland's girlfriend and John Peel and his wife, and he was married for a long, his second wife, uh, his first wife, that was a, not a very good marriage. Uh, his second wife, he ended up being married to uh, until he passed away. But so this second wife and um, and John and Mark Boland and Mark Boland's girlfriend, they would go on double dates. They would go to like Stonehenge. They would do all kinds of things all the time. And then when John Peel had like DJ gigs around around the country, he would take Mark Boland even though he wasn't supposed to be there, and he would uh, convince somebody that said, you've got to let this guy play before I play. I'm not going to play records until you let him play, that kind of stuff. And he got him to play and kind of made, really helped to make T-Rex something. And then when they were something, uh, Mark Bolin just completely stopped talking to him. 
He thinks it may have been around the time that he had, I think it was Bang a Gong. Not that we're talking about T-Rex in any other point of this radio in this episode, but <laughs> <laughs> so at some point they would they would exchange letters all the time. They were just in, like as close as people could meet. But when Bang a Gong came out, John Peel did not. He played it and he did not give it a. He didn't say very nice things about it. And he because he thought he could be honest. That's his his friend. He, they were always very honest with each other. And at that point, it was from then on that Mark Boland never spoke to him again, ever. And it was even before that when Mark Boland had his big hit, his first big hit with T-Rex, that John Peel was driving and he heard it on the radio and he had to pull over. He was, like, weeping that he, this, his best friend did this, or one of his best friends did this. It was So he never really got over that. And he was let down by other people, too. David Bowie, I think, let him down. I couldn't find specifics about that, but I'd heard that that had happened. The only other artist, and it was a band, that he maintained like this kind of connection with what's the faces hmm. like they were all really really good friends and they maintained that throughout even rob yeah apparently he was pretty cool like they were there at his at john peel's wedding they would go to parties he would well, have I parties would definitely all the time rob right yeah all of them um so yeah there are good stories about that and that's why i wanted to talk about john he was just such an amazing guy and he did so much for everything that we are doing like without him so many bands wouldn't even have been around He's the person who basically introduced punk to everybody. He played the Sex Pistols before anybody else did. He was really, really especially enamored with punk. And then eventually later with, um, even then, at that point, reggae, uh, but eventually even uh, hip-hop and electronica, which is stuff I don't even, I haven't even yet gotten into too much, but just that he was so fixated on punk before anybody else in New Wave, and it was, he, he just called everything before anybody else did. Yeah. I mean... It's funny because he's he's so important and he's everywhere, but I don't know a lot about him, you know. Yeah. I mean, I I can't even say that I would recognize a picture. I've seen pictures of him, but I don't know if I, I could pick him out of a lineup. Pretty interesting guy. Yeah. Public school in England, so not didn't come from a very posh background or anything, and yeah, he was he was an interesting guy, and he had all those uh, the John Peel sessions uh, were a big yeah. thing, and there are hundreds and hundreds of them, and those are all. You can find those all archived, at least the recording sessions themselves. And initially, they started off at the BBC, and eventually, as he got older, um, they would be recorded at his house. Just Come cool. on over. Yep, yep. He had bands you. over all the time. There was there was one point when he was in California as a DJ, and he had, he made friends with this band that he loved. Nobody else really liked them, but he convinced them that they would be big in London. So he flew them to London. They didn't have any money. They were reprobate reprobates uh drug addicts they were just sounded like awful awful people other than to him and what he had what he had them do was go to his mom's house <laughs> and knock on the door and she had no idea <laughs> they were coming and they stayed there for a few months just kind of destroying yeah, the place months. being loud yeah it was yeah it was really funny so he was sort of their manager they never really took what was the band uh, I'll have to look. Oh, shoot. I wish I had that. Um, they didn't do anything nothing, ever. Nothing at all. He just heard them live, and I think it was probably because it was the only band that played basically English psych music that was an American band, and he just he just loved it, even though they may not have been very good. He was confident with his taste. <laughs> that's my that's my John Peel. That's great. Um, we're gonna put some stuff online about that archive because it's really cool to just look at all the records he had. And one of the things, when people would write him letters, he would try to respond to every single person. When people sent demos, um, he would try to play all of them so that he could, you know, hear everything. I mean, there were tens of thousands that he never got to, but he tried really, really hard to get through everything. It was, it just seems like an amazing guy. Yeah, very, awesome. very sincere. That's my take on John Peel. Um, really great guy. And again, it's weird that he was just everywhere. And there's a place online where you can see a picture of him and there's Jack Ruby in the background crazy that story is just insane and he said throughout he said nobody believed him because he didn't have that picture because his wife his wife destroyed it um, somebody found it though or not that picture. Somebody, picture somebody found a picture yeah yeah exactly so it's <laughs> just a, just an That's awesome thing. and the, i got most of my information from an autobiography half an autobiography half a biography he was working on an autobiography when he died he'd only gotten halfway there he started a long, a long time before that. He had plenty of time to do it. He just didn't finish it. His wife finished it, and she did a great job. Like, the first half of the book where he's writing, he, he's a good writer. Um, I just didn't like the style all that much, but I like her style a lot. She's, he 
can tell how much she loved and cared for him and all of his fans and everything. So um, I liked her half more. Very cool. All right, cool. Sorry that took way too long. No, it's perfect. All right. Uh, I guess it's time to listen to a few tracks. It is. All right, I'm going to start us out today. This would fall under the category of Unknown Song by Great Artist. And all I can say, this is my favorite song that's written about rodeos and bromance. So we're going to play it right now for you. This is the story of Tweedledee Twist and the cowboy that I knew named Tony. From Blythe, Fresno, Old San Joe, Washuga Rodeo, Pendleton, San Ann, Baker, Bozeman, and Burley. From Chamber to Payson, Rapid City to Akron, we'd sing just to ease all the hurts that we gain. A bandage to wrap the aches and a few turns of tape held us together and stopped the blood stain. Well, sometimes we'd draw bad in a stock wooden buck And there was times when the luck wasn't going our way But a credit card that I'd found would get us to the next town With just a switch of his Montana plates I remembered Evanston when a bull broke his arm And we had to make it on into Beulah the next day I broke out the CB and the only Dr. Tony seen was me in a can of ether there in the Beulah chute gates. And it was at Louisville that I went down in the well in a suicide rap I held in my hand. The clown just shook his broom while I dangled near doom. It was Tony that saved my life then. Then a year from that week, we pulled up at Mesquite where I drew number 12 from the herd And Tony, my sidekick, pulled Tweedledee Twist That bull's famous from Prairie to Evansburg All right now, cowboys, kind of clear the way Let that ambulance through there Let that ambulance on through Looks like a pretty bad wreck out there, folks Hold up, folks We got one more ride left down there in the chutes Wait a minute it looks like we're turning on number 12 out. So that's all for today, folks. I'll finish the story of Tweedledee Twist and a cowboy that I knew named Tony. From Sterling to Abilene, Loveland to New Orleans, I've got a new partner traveling with me. But I never could explain why I called him the wrong name When I get drunk, I call him Tony And sometimes he'll ask me why I pass Montana by You know at Butte they got money But that's where I met him, my sidekick and friend I've got more than enough of his memories Far down in Mesquite, there's a cowboy sleeping where bulls ain't a bucking, ain't a bucking. All right, well, that was a song called Tony by the one and only Johnny Cash. And his woman. Uh, yep. <laughs> she doesn't actually sing on that, but it is from the album Johnny Cash and His Woman, which was a 73 uh, release on Columbia Records. I think pretty much everything was after Sun. Yes. Yeah, I don't think he'd put anything else out until American. Oh, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. American, I guess. There's not a lot about that song. He had so many records in the 70s that were really good and interesting, but they're not especially well-loved or documented. Uh, what I could find about it is this, this song was written by a guy named D.C. Powers. He was apparently a San Quentin inmate. He also wrote a song on that same Johnny Cash and His Woman, Godshine. Uh, but that's all I know about him. I couldn't find anything else about it. Apparently Johnny Cash just... He wanted to be song. Merle Haggard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he wasn't. But just 
this song is better than God Shack. You, can, you can do the crime, songs. but you can't write the rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> DC Powers could have a name like DC Powers. The, I think the the thing that's, that, and Joe and I have loved this song for a long time, and what, when we first heard this album, we were listening to it, and of course it's got the line, I've got a new partner riding with me in Dakota. At that time, we both love Will Oldham, and Will Oldham was talking about how his love for these 70s Johnny Cash records that nobody really likes. You know, there's no hits on it, really. And so, I don't know this for a fact, but if I were a betting man, I would guarantee that Will Oldham heard this line, I got a new partner riding with me, and that was the inspiration for when his song, New Partner, on the Viva Last Blues. Yeah, and I think the before I had ever even heard this album, it was because Will Oldham listed it as one of his ten favorite albums. Oh, really? Okay, see, I didn't yeah. even know that. I probably just kind of picked it up for you. It's it's just a great song. It's just it's it's kind of a story song. It's got that weird rodeo part in it, and it's got me and Tony with a can of ether, you know, doing doing surgery in the backwoods, and and then he he calls his new partner when he gets drunk the wrong name. I mean, it's just just it's kind of beautiful and sad. For a while there. When I was on the internet, you know, you have your internet handles. I used to call myself Tweedle or Twist. Cause I thought that was such a good name. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, it's, I don't have a lot of facts for this. This Man, is just, this I wish is I had a story for my Dr. Vinyl name. Because <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do with records. That's the <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Vinyl Blue. Yeah, I don't have a lot of facts about the song. It's just a song I love. And uh, I hope you like it too. Great Joe? song. Okay, awesome. Okay. My, now, my second, we did not plan this. Uh, my my first song is by a band called Siren. This is off their self-titled album, also called Siren. About rodeos? Uh, it's not about rodeos. It's called Z-Z-Z-Z. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why things are, uh, why I think it's something that we have in common here, or why we have a similar thing on this. I'm going to go ahead and play that now, and then we'll go into why I played it and why I think it's weird that we both, uh, that we have something in common with our songs. Tell me your name. 
That was Siren with Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. Okay, so that album is from 1969, and it is on a label. It's from a label called Dandelion Records. And the reason I played this is not only because I love that song, but because Dandelion Records was actually started by John Peel. This mm. is one of the first albums he put out. They put both of Siren's records on this. They made two albums as a band. The lead singer is Kevin Coyne. Oh. Uh huh. And then the other guy that's in the band, it's two guys, Kevin Coyne and Dave Clegg, who was uh, in Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Uh, I don't really know much about them, unfortunately. So Kevin Coyne is somebody who is very, very interesting in general. Before he started working with the band, before he started really doing much music, he worked in a psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. um, directly with patients. And he worked there for three years. And then from then on, for the rest of his life, he was really, really conscious about doing things to help them. Um, he had his own psychotic break at some point, too. He'd suffer from depression. A lot of issues himself, especially with alcohol, combining that with depression and, and other things that he had going on. This song is actually, it sounds like it's a love song if you're listening to it, but there's also a lot in there that is clearly not it's sort of frightening, some of the stuff he says. Like, it's got, there's a mountain on top of my head. I keep wondering, sometimes I wish I was dead. It's true. <laughs> like that kind of thing. The whole thing is like that, but it goes back and forth between being in love with someone that you've never really talked to, which is, can be creepy, but not necessarily so. And then also having problems with his brain. He actually could have been pretty big. Kevin Coyne kind of refused getting to be big. I don't know, maybe you know this or not. He was asked by the head of Electra to audition with the Doors after Jim Morrison died, and he turned it down. So Really? Yeah. He didn't want to do that. that. He doesn't like leather trousers, he said. Um, so, <laughs> so he didn't do it. The reason I thought it was funny that you were talking about uh, the Tony song by Johnny Cash is one of the reasons that I've been drawn to... To Kevin Coyne, in general, is because of an album called Babel that I really love that he did with Dagmar Krause. Right. Um, I know you generally like Marjorie Razorblade a lot. You talked about oh, Marjorie um, But the reason I got into Babel was because of Will Oldham. <laughs> so um, every few years he'll release, he'll tell people his 10 favorite albums are always to- totally different, but one time it was Babel. And he even formed a band which called The Babblers, and all they do is play songs from that album. But I've never heard or seen any video of that. I just read about it. So there's a. I mean, do they play often? No, I I think it was just a long time ago. They may have played a few shows. And the the song itself, I mean, we I could go in. We don't typically go into the songs, but the song itself, this one is different from what is generally from his other ones. This is actually structured just like a blues song. It's um, A A B C A A B C, but then it's about your brain being crushed. (laughs) So for various reasons. But that's a very like. This is kind of an early version, but that's very Kevin Coyne. I mean, yeah. That's kind of what the songs are yep. about. Yep. A lot of them. Yeah. And then he, I mentioned he had that breakdown. It was like 1981. He had a nervous breakdown. He quit drinking just a couple years after that, after his recovery. And he moved to Germany and became a... He recorded music continually until he died. But he also became like a painter, too. Really prolific painter as well. So if that's... He, oh, he's, he's definitely deserving of a turntable talk. Maybe we, we, can, we can do that at some point. But... If you have not heard his music other than this, you need to find some. It can be unsettling. It's not easy yeah. pop listening, but it's it's real good, and the, the lyrics are kind of another level. Sometimes. And a lot of it doesn't sound, I mean, none of it's going to sound like, like what we just played. It's going to be more along the lines of a Daniel Johnston with a better voice. Yeah. Like, it's there's something weird going on there, but he's got a good voice. He's, he's a very good writer, but there's something a little unsettling but in a way that you should probably hear. Yeah, Kevin Coyne was on my short list to play something from Marjorie Razorblade. Okay. Because that, that is probably one of my ten favorite records. It's a great I, album. I do talk about it a lot. Yeah, it's a great, and, and with good reason. I, I love that one, too. So that's what I had for my first. My Very first. good. Loved it. Okay. My second song is, this is a song that is, it was actually a big hit in the UK. It reached number five in England. And most people think it's pretty terrible. I love it. <laughs> The album that this was on is by Primal Scream. The album is called Riot City Blues, and the song is called Country Girl. And it's a song that I love. I think they did a lot of kind of Rolling Stones-ish songs, and this is, I think, their best one. So I'm going to go ahead and play that. 
never get to be, never get to have it, never get to cool that you stop paying your dues. Oh yeah, what can a pop art do? Better go back to your mama, she'll take care of you. That was Primal Scream with Country Girl, mentioned uh, mentioned earlier. That came out in 2006, long after Primal Scream was relevant. At least according to most people. I certainly don't want to uh, say anything. That was their highest charting single, number five in England. That album, Riot City Blues, got panned. A lot of their records have been panned. They are, people seem to either think they're absolutely brilliant from one album, and then the next album they'll, they'll kind of generally hate. I really like this song. This album is actually pretty good. In general, like Warren Ellis even plays on it on a couple tracks, huh. which is cool. Yeah, uh, Warren Ellis from the Bad Seeds. Now the band is basically known for their drug habits. That's kind of a fun thing to talk about. So there's a story about them that 
Let me see where where they were arguing with one another. The band was about whether to get somebody overheard this argument. They were arguing about whether to get Vietnamese, Chinese, or Indian. When somebody heard what was going on here, they asked if they would. The guys, somebody came up and said, "Would you guys just settle for a burger?" And they said, "It's heroin we're discussing, not food." <laughs> That's the kind of drug thing that they were. Sounds like a horrible ending to a joke. It does, and it yeah. So does a lot of their music. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, yeah. Well, yeah, some do. But this one, um, they have some album. They have a lot of Rolling Stones-ish stuff, and then they've got a lot of kind of acid house stuff. In bits and pieces, it's great. Overall, I just can't. I can't really sit through very much of their stuff. But they do have uh, some of the Rolling Stones stuff. They had. The same person who worked on Beggar's Banquet and Let It Bleed worked on some of their other albums. Like, uh, there's a song that they have called Crying Myself to Sleep that uh, we'll put a video of that's really good. And it just sounds like the Rolling Stones ripoff, but more of an homage. And it's really good. It's like a song that they didn't record that we wish they, I wish they had. So. We're good. Okay. All right. And I've got the last song. This song is, it's made the rounds on like music blogs and stuff like this, and rightfully so, it's pretty great. People call it like one of those holy grails of, of uh, private press type stuff. This is a song called Forge Your Own Chains by D.R. Hooker. I'm going to go ahead and play it, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about D.R. here in a second. What you're doing I won't know you Pretty soon Got to try To improve your brain To see it
All right, so that was Forge Your Own Chains by D.R. Hooker. And that was on the album called The Truth. came out in 1972, and he just put it out. Apparently, there was about 99 copies originally. Um, so I think there is a lot of, like, resurgence of looking for these awesome private press records. Um, and sometimes they're great. Uh, and sometimes they're they're not. They're just kind of cool because they're private press and there wasn't a lot of them. People looked for the thing. This is one of those occasions where I think it was just phenomenally good. Like, it was, it was just really good. He wrote this in New Haven, Connecticut, which is not known for being a hotbed of, of uh, psychedelic music in 72. He had been um, kind of a substance abusing hippie. And he had converted to being an evangelical Christian. And he dressed the part. He dressed like Jesus. White cloak, long hair, the beard, the whole getup. And so he kind of had this whole album ready to go. He had written it, written the arrangements. And he basically hired a bunch of local musicians. It turned out to be pretty good. They recorded in a, in a, a few days. And the musicians left. Most of them apparently didn't ever hear the album. I mean, there's only 99 copies put out. He just, he just kind of did a they they um, did a di- dynamic recording studios in Connecticut. It's a phenomenal album. This song by far, "For Your Change," is my favorite. It's kind of a, a thesis statement of the album as far as this, uh, you know, breaking your chains of addiction and turning to the Lord or what have you. It's got that kind of groovy jazz feel. Some of the bongo bongos, but it has the, the psychedelic flourishes and pretty good lyrics and, and good singer and I mean it just it worked for whatever reason. I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss the cover. This, <laughs> this is one of the best covers, uh, and of course our website has all our covers and mm-hmm. sometimes the labels. I I, I I don't have one in the original ninety nine. Uh, neither, neither do I. Yeah, I've never. I got a reprint. Yeah, yeah. There's probably not. You know, fortunately, somebody had one to to, to make a copy of. The cover is Dr. Hooker, and he's kind of got a. He's got an acoustic guitar. And he's kind of lurching, kind of like a Chuck Berry lurch, where he's kind of thrusting the guitar out. But <laughs> it's it's a picture of him on this hillside where you can see the city behind him. And I mean, it looks like Jesus holding an acoustic guitar. I mean, it's it's great. It gets reissued fairly often. It's not hard to find now. You know. Do you know any of the reissued labels? Because I don't know which one. I have. Yeah, I've got them right here. Okay, good. Thank in you. 1993, it was Del Val, and then in 2008, Sweden's Subliminal Sounds, and then uh, there was a recent, and I think I think this is the one I've got, uh, 180 gram reissue by Belgian Reveal and Geeks. So. That, yeah, it, it gets reissued. It's it's that good, and it's it's something worth worth having if you're if you're into that sort of music. But uh, it's just kind of a fun fun thing. And I love Forge Your Own Chains. But uh, there's a, a compilation I have that has that track. And I think that's actually the first time I heard it. And then Joe brought it back up to my attention sometime when we were talking. But uh, on this compilation, it's called Forge Your Own Chains Psychedelic Dirges or something like that. It's a good compilation, but. Uh, I want the whole the whole record's worth listening to. So that's my um, great track by an unknown artist. Now I think it's time to uh, see if Joe can answer some of this trivia. Okay, let's move back to audio trivia answers. All right, I'm going to go ahead and play them one more time for Joe and the world to see if they can uh, put it together. And then I'm going to ask you to give me the artist and the track. And then I'm going to ask my super secret bonus question. Okay, let's do this. All right, the the audience can beat me. All right, track one. Track two. Gloria, the last taboo was shattered by her tongue one night. Mimi brought the taboo back and held it up for the light. Marilyn, who knew no shame, was never, ever satisfied. Julie came and went so fast, she didn't even say Track three. She was sharing Sharon's outlook on the topic of disease. Mikey had a facial scar, and Bobby was a racist. They were all in love with dying. They were doing it in Texas. Tommy played Track four. Well, 
medicine up in Manhattan. Flying Vietnam, bullet in the head. Bobby O did on Drano on the night that he was wet. They were two more friends of mine. <laughs> All right, Joe. What's okay. that for me? Okay. Track one is The Kinks. Fuck. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, what? Fuck breaks. What? What? It's not The Kinks. Wait, who is it? It's The Zombies. Oh my gosh. I'm an idiot. Yeah. I can't believe it's I did The that. Zombies. Do you know the name of the song? No. No. The song Bob is and called... Jerry. Uh, <laughs> that would be a better name for the I song. I can't believe I did that. I like The Kinks so much more than The Zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. And you should. But yep. this is a great song by The Zombies called Friends of Mine. Okay. Okay. All right. Track two, you got. Track two. Yeah, that's the one you know I don't because I know I it's kind of hit kind of out of far, far left field. It's not very representative of the butthole surfers. No, it sounds like a, them doing a Beck song. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, they, they, they made it, took it to the bank. Took it to the bank. So, good for them. All right. Track four. Track four, uh, the Jim Carroll band, People Who Die. Absolutely. Um, fantastic song. Yeah. Track five. T-Rex. Yes. I thought it was Bang and Gone. It's not. It's not. Okay, what is it? Telegram Sam. Oh, okay, okay. I do get some of their beats. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. T-Rex is kind of yep. T-Rex. He's great. Yep. All right, last song. Magnetic Fields, Luckiest Guy in the Lower yes, Side. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, and what is the common thread? Is there a common name in all of these that... One of them, because it's the listings of names. Often. That that is the. Oh, that is it. Okay. It's just okay. it's songs that list a lot of names. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. However, you touched upon the bonus question. Oh, okay. The bonus question: Four of these songs have the same name. So, what name is the most frequently occurring in these songs? The single name that is the most. Uh, There's one song. Okay. That appears in four of the tracks. And I'll even tell you the four tracks that appear. 88 Lines. Okay. Pepper. Okay. People Who Died. And okay. Telegram Sam. And I tried to slip it in a few times. If it's oh, <laughs> if it's not in the Magnetic Fields one, that's the one that I have every word memorized. You tried to slip it in a few times, huh? When, when did you slip it in? I slipped it in during Telegram Sam. Okay. He's all right. He's a natural born poet. Natural born poet. What is? Who is it? What is it? It's Bobby. Ah. Okay. Bobby appears in Eighty Eight Lines, Pepper, People mm-hmm. Who Died, okay. and Telegram Sam. Of course, Telegram Sam. He's talking about Bob Dylan. Very good. All right. Well, that about wraps up for us. As always, go out and support people who care about music and make their living that way. Buy records. Go to record shops. We're going to do that tomorrow. Exactly. And record labels. Artists, what he shows, do what you need to do. Yeah, check out our uh, check out the Facebook page too. We put videos, uh, YouTube videos to some of these. We'll put record covers of all of them or labels if they're seven um, if they're seven inches stuff like that. We'll have all that information up there for you, so you can look at it and you can talk to us. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.